1: Yep, you and I have met. We know each other from yeah, social
0: yeah. media, but not uh, not in person. So I'm, I'm going
2: to give well, I'm going to give Brad the usual intro. If that's okay. Right. I, if I don't, I don't want to steal your thunder. No. Well, if I don't, I get tweets of why didn't guy? you say on time on target? No joke. <laughs> All right. So, softrep.com on time on target. We're joined for the second time, as Jack was saying, as we were uh, recording the intro here in studio. But the first time you guys have met. And there's a lot going on in the world of Brad Thor right now. So pleasure to have you.
0: Thanks for having me back. I had so much fun last time. I figured uh, I would come in. And it's funny because you had uh, Tony Tata, General Tata uh in before me last time i think a couple episodes before and uh yes. i was like what's that japanese whiskey and they're like oh tony tata like that i'm like if tony <laughs> likes it i'll like it i was texting with tony last night he's like what are you doing and i'm like oh you know i'm doing fox and soft rep and stuff so he's such a good guy i really like tony great american great patriot great warrior super super guy. i recently did a book with uh, nick irving yeah, that's books. right. The yeah. uh, Reaper, mm-hmm. Reaper. Yeah. yeah,
2: Reaper Ghost Target. But I
0: blurb that book. It's a great book.
2: But you're you're like the blurb guy because when I whenever I see like a great th- military thriller and it's got that Brad Thor quote on the cover, people pick it up.
0: I will not blurb something if I don't like it. So I believe it, it. It, like Jack, if you were like, hey, would you blurb one of my books? I'd be like, you know what, no, no, brother? bro. <laughs> <laughs> I'd have to read it. I'd have to read it first. But I just no bullshit with people. I'm like, hey, listen, I will not. Whore out blurbs. You could be my buddy, but if your book sucks, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell you, this is what I think and maybe if you want to tweak it, tweak it. If you think it's good to go, go for yeah. it. Cuz you can't you can't dilute your brand by putting it on stuff that sucks. Some authors sucks. don't do them at all. No, that's yeah. true. That's true.
1: Well, this is a, a big day for you, Brad. This is the release date of yep. your latest novel. We have it right here. I don't know, Ian, can people see the book?
2: Yeah, they can on on Spy Instagram Spy Master. Right here. This is Spy number
1: 18, 18 in the series. Yep and it came out today so people yep. can go pick it up. I mean, Brad, you have uh you're probably the biggest name in this genre. I mean, I, honestly, I, no, yeah, you know well.
0: Uh, yeah, it's nice. It's you know, it's funny because I'm my dad's a Marine, no longer active, mm-hmm. and we grew up with just kind of this nose to the grindstone work ethic. And yeah. I'm always looking at what's in front of me, what's the next challenge, what's that next mountain I'm going to climb, the next next book. And it's funny, one day you wake up and you're in a podcast and somebody says that, and you're like, no, that's no, I'm I'm, I'm still the guy. guy starting out, yeah. you know, because I look at every book. I write it and say, okay, is this good enough that if nobody knew me, I could get a publisher right. deal on this book? Can it stay if you took my name off of it? Does it stand people on its buy own two it? feet. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean,
1: you put out what, one a year? One a year? And, I, and I, I've written myself, and I know, like, that's, that's all a job. That's an incredible amount of work. I mean, you Never sit gets easier. You
0: butt in the chair every day yeah.
1: typing on the computer.
0: Yeah, seat of pants to seat of chair, and you'd think it would get easier. <laughs> it actually gets harder because that kind of thing from, uh, you know, my brother and I jokingly refer to my dad as the great Santini. My dad's a good guy that's, that's uh, a great sense of humor, and that's why we call him Santini. But, you know, our thing always was if you're not getting better, you're not trying hard enough. And so that's I try to raise the bar every single time with my thrillers because I don't work for Simon & Schuster. I work for the readers. They're my bosses. So the reviews that are going to show up on Amazon, uh, the stuff people are going to say on Twitter and Facebook and Goodreads, that's my performance review. That's what I'm, I'm looking for. Did I do a good job for you this year? And are you happy with my work product?
1: you got to top yourself and also make sure you don't write the same book over again.
0: That's, yeah, that's, but you know what? There's so much going on in the yeah, world. Yeah, it's, really. it, it is, it, <laughs> it is writes an, itself. It almost. does. It's incredible. Like Spymaster, uh, the Rand Corporation, you know, you, you guys get such a great audience. I know I can do a quick thing about an sure. interesting wargaming thing yeah, that happened please. at Rand. So, uh, two years ago, Rand Corporation did uh, a wargaming scenario. They took a bunch of top U.S. military uh, leaders and they put some on the red team, some on the blue team. And uh, it was basically NATO against Russia if Russia went into the Baltics and took one or all three of the smaller mm-hmm. NATO members, uh, Lithuania, Latvia, and Estonia. I'm like, okay, gosh, I never even think about that part of the world. I never think about it, but what happened in 2014, Putin went in and took the Crimean Peninsula yeah. in real life. So we know that he's a revanchist. We know that he believes he's, he's due this territory, he wants to take He sees all back these
1: countries as being part of Russia. As
0: being part of Russia. So Rand did this thing and every time they rolled the dice and they mixed up the generals and the admirals and put them you know took from red team put them on blue team and mixed them up every time they rolled the dice the russians won every single time they took the baltics all three in 36 hours and so the thing was is that they were using a lot of paratroopers and stuff like this and in focusing on taking the capitals What's fascinating is there were some people in the defense industry that said, "Okay, great scenario, but the Russians can't get that many paratroopers airborne, that they just can't. They don't have the capacity." And then the Russian military did something where they not only used military aircraft, but they got a whole bunch of civilian aircraft and put their guys on that and opened the doors to kick them out.
1: I mean, they've done that in the didn't
0: they do that in the Czech Republic? Mm-hmm.
1: back in like the 1960s or '70s? They,
0: I think there was something back then, and I can't remember if it was '60s or '70s. So the Russians know what they're doing, and I thought, OK, this is fascinating because we have to a certain degree, a war-weary public in the sure. United States. You've got Afghanistan, you've got Iraq. Would America get behind going over and trying to take back, which would be bloody and long and costly, a nation that most Americans can't – a nation or three nations that most Americans can't even find on a map?
1: Well, I think uh, Zbigniew a Brzezinski said when he spoke in front of Congress that, you know, as you mentioned, that the attack against the Baltics would go down very quickly. Yes, it, it would be over very quickly. And he was pointing out, look, there's not going to be some heroic American counterattack after the fact. We're not going to risk going to nuclear war with Russia over Lithuania, Estonia and Latvia. Uh, and his recommendation, of course, was to put a small amount of U.S. troops in these countries as a uh, deterrent.
0: Right. And we rotate. I think there's a, a, co- a brigade combat team or something that's being rotated yes.
1: throughout yeah. all three. And in Poland and elsewhere. Yeah. Yep. And so
0: and now we're looking at, is President Trump going to pull troops out of Germany, put them in Poland? What are we going to do? As I looked into this scenario, Jack, it was fascinating because one of the things that Rand and some other people in the defense industry are concerned about, this is a term You've heard it. You're a military guy. I had not heard of a de-escalation nuke lighting up a city in Europe with a Russian nuke like Antwerp, okay? So Antwerp – so you take the Baltics, and before the U.S. can move in the NATO allies, a nuke goes off in Antwerp. And that's Putin saying – this is how serious I am. You come and try to take back the Baltics? I got them other places. And I'd never heard this military co- uh, concept of de-escalation via a battlefield nuke
1: term either. Uh, so he's talk, talking about a,
0: a city destroyer, essentially. Yes, and I don't know how big, you know, what the yield on the weapon would be, but it would show that he's willing to use nukes to hold on to that territory that he took in the Baltics. So this thing became fascinating for me because I'm going, all right, so what exactly would the Russians want? Mm -hmm. And you look at the island of Gotland off of Sweden in the Baltic Sea, if they have a very small amount of troops, the Swedes, garrison there. In fact, the Swedes just started conscription again because they're really worried about Russia. Yeah. But the Russians, if they take Gotland, they control the entire Baltic, and we wouldn't be able to reinforce the Baltic states via the sea. You'd never get a NATO ship in there. So the only way we're able to do this, because you're not going to get air in there, we're not going to, the Russians are going to completely own the airspace, because, I mean, you're talking about, uh, you know, that's, that's Russian territory, basically. It's right up against those Baltics, uh, the Baltic states. So, if you try to move up through Poland, if you try to move American military equipment from Poland to Lithuania, there's a huge stumbling block. The railroad gauge changes. You can't yeah. run the same trains from Poland in, into Lithuania. You have to transfer the equipment, and those are key sabotage because points because of the metric the
1: versus Soviet rail.
0: I, I think that's what it is. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's a fascinating conundrum, and if I, I don't know how we win. Um, so what's interesting for me is the Marines, another thing I didn't know, that the Marines have all of this equipment prepositioned in Norway. Yeah. In our, in, so a lot of it kind of was cycled out and then cycled back in for Iraq and everything. But my book opens with a sabotage attempt in Norway as uh, the the Russians are using a cutout organization. And it's just fun to incorporate all this into a thriller because it's also real.
1: There was allegedly a program during the Cold War in which, you know how, if the war did pop off, if the balloon went up, a series of things. It's like the cult of the offensive. Things start going in sequence very quickly. Right. Um, they would have the pilots in Sweden the fighter pilots would have been called in and allegedly the KGB had a program to actually assassinate the pilots in their wow. homes oh. uh, like an hour before the initiation of hostilities Wow uh, the, it's kind of like you know you're taking the spark plugs out of an engine just sure. as Uncle Sam gets behind the wheel and turns the key you know it, it's Dead. just you're, you're short-circuiting the system uh, and, and it sounds like is that what your book is kind of about? It's about the more unconventional warfare side of it, sabotage operations, in the context of a larger conventional
0: conflict? It, it is. The the real germ of this, though, is that my my protagonist, Scott Harvath, the group he works with, actually has a piece of intel that tells them, if you start seeing these things happen in NATO countries, even though it doesn't look like Russians, it doesn't have Russian fingerprints, that's actually a precursor to them going into the Baltics. So these things start popping up. There's diplomats, NATO diplomats being killed and all these things that are kind of being aimed at NATO to cause strife between NATO members, Mm -hmm. to make the the, the public in these NATO countries say maybe we shouldn't be in NATO, right? It's all the stuff Putin – I, I don't use Putin in the book, but this is – Putin hates the U.S. and he hates NATO. Those are his two – he yeah. sees those are the two <laughs> biggest threats. So in my book, these things start popping up, and uh, they have a piece of intel that tells them these are tripwires. This actually means there's going to be an invasion of the Baltics. And the U.S. president, it's not a Republican, it's not a Democrat, it's a fictional president in my book. The U.S. president has a group, and he says to them, them, i don't want to be drawn into an article five conflict where an attack on one nato member is an attack on all We, we we're not going to do that so you go it's uh the first time i ever heard marcus luttrell speak marcus finished up by kind of saying you know one of the best things you can do for us is to trust us just kind of turn and look away and trust that we're going to go do the right thing we're going to get the job done the president of my book says to this group you guys go You do whatever it takes. You break every rule. You've got every asset, everything you need. You just tell me, but don't let the invasion happen. And so it's like these dogs of war are set loose, and it is just it is a rocket ride from the first pages. And it doesn't, you know, there are a lot of twists and turns. You don't know how things are going to work out. Big surprise at the end. Uh, so I'm hoping people find this to be their their favorite Brad Thor thriller. It's uh it's very timely, and I, I was uh you know reading about the book a
1: little bit and how you mentioned the uh, the political violence of the 1970s with the Red Brigades, yep. and the Red Army faction. And it's funny because I was just finished writing an article yesterday, kind of doing. I hate to make like a this is like that kind of comparison, but at least looking back at the political violence in Italy in the 1960s oh. through the 1980s, and speculating if. We're not heading into a time like that in the United States that we're going to see this influx of political violence with assassinations, bombings. I mean, hopefully that ne- d- never happens. Here. Right. But um, it has. I mean, that was, you it, know, the late 60s. Yeah. We're already at the lo- low level of mm-hmm. it. Um, but I guess the other thing I wanted to ask you in regards to this book, too, or, or one of the themes in it is the relevance or is there a continued relevance for NATO? in today's world.
0: Oh, listen, it is the greatest kind of political-military alliance in the history of the world. I absolutely think so, especially, like I said... Uh, you know, a little bit for the audience, I don't want to be, give too much of a history lesson, but I found this fascinating, that when the Soviet Union broke apart, this is why NATO is so important. Uh, obviously, it was important post-war 1940s, you know, mid to late 1940s, it gets put together. The idea is, you know, <laughs> we keep the Germans under control and so they don't fight with the French. <laughs> right. or the You know, <laughs> the Germans, you know, it's two world wars. Let's not have a third. Let's figure out how we, we get this under control. Um, in, when the Soviet Union broke apart a third of their nuclear arsenal was left behind in Ukraine. It was the third largest arsenal in the world at the time. And that was a problem. So we're talking 1991, the uh, the Ukrainians break away, 1994... We've established something called the Budapest Memorandum with Ukraine and a couple of other partners. So it was us, the the Brits, the French, uh, the Russian Federation was involved in this agreement, and then the Chinese signed on, kind of a weaker thing, and some other people. But what we did was we promised Ukraine. We said if you give up these nukes, because we were terrified the terrorists were going to get them. There was no, they didn't have the expertise. They couldn't launch them either because the a lot of the
1: it happened in Kazakhstan also. Yes, it we did had to get them to denuclearize
0: voluntarily voluntarily so with with ukraine we said to them if you give up these nukes we promise you no one will invade you we will not allow that to happen so that was 1994 everybody signs on including the russians fast forward to march of 2014 and putin runs in and takes the crimean peninsula away from them now they claim that there was a revolution there and that the the, the new party doesn't represent the old agreement it's all this bs Here's what's fascinating for me, though. So Obama doesn't do anything. They get to walk in and take it. There's some sanctions and all this. But what is the 80th anniversary we're coming up on March or September 30th of this year? Stalingrad? It's the Munich Pact where Neville Chamberlain and the French prime minister uh, uh-huh. sat down with Hitler and Mussolini the and gave, gave away the Sudetenland. To uh, to uh, Hitler that part of Czechoslovakia because he said oh, he oh, wanted prior to protect to the war, prior yeah, to the war, yeah he wanted to protect ethnic Germans so that was 80 years ago this September and it, there's that old line history doesn't repeat but it does rhyme so allowing Putin to take the Crimean Peninsula is exactly the precursor to World War II where Neville, Neville Chamberlain who got replaced by Churchill he did the same thing with Hitler allowing Hitler to take a slice for ethnic Germans. So it's it's history repeating itself, just with a little bit of a different echo. It's funny.
1: I, I sat down maybe a year ago now with a uh, member of a European special operations unit and. You know, he commented on how it feels like we're repeating all the same mistakes of 100 years ago. Uh, there is, it feels like there's this resurgence of communism and fascism. You know, like, what the heck? What's going yeah. on here? And he mentions, he's like, look, we're fighting in Crimea. We're fighting in uh, Syria. You know, we're fighting in Libya. This is,
0: this is where we were 100 years ago. Yeah, you, it's, <laughs> it's, it's like, what did we learn and why are we back again, right? Um, it's fascinating for me to watch all this unfold. And I love I love history. And my job is to give you a white-knuckle thrill ride. You're supposed to, I do short, crisp, kind of cinematic tight, chapters. Tight plots. Tight. You know, when I write my books, I'm seeing it unfold like a movie across my mind. And so I want it to be fast. Elmore Leonard said, leave out the parts people skip. You know, I loved Clancy, but I didn't love 50 pages on how a guidance system on a on a cruise missile works. Or like how the rank system in the army works. It's like, yeah. okay, I got it. Just, yeah, just let me know there's a, there's a team lazing a target and the missile's going to hit it. Great. That's all the explanation I need. I want these chapters to fly by and you to flip the pages. Um, The icing on the cake for me, so if you have a great, exciting ride with one of my thrillers, I've done my job. If you close it not realizing, oh, man, look at the things I learned in this. I never knew about this book, if you look right inside, Jack, this is the first time ever a we have done a map. This is my 18th thriller. We've never done this. But I think it's so cool to see which countries are NATO members, which aren't. And then as you read the book, the action takes place all over this part of Europe, Western Europe, and all that kind of stuff. You can actually trace where it is. And I think that's kind of fun for people. It's not a history book. It's not nonfiction. It's supposed to be fun and easy, but you're going to close it smarter.
1: And it's interesting if you can get people to think in the context of geopolitics, I mean, as Americans, we have a hard time understanding. Yeah. And we're surrounded by two oceans. Our, our yep. neighbor to the north is... Pretty nice to us. You Super know? nice. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, we don't have the problems. Like, if you're a, a Poland or a Ukraine or yeah. a Bulgaria, you have to be constantly engaged with your neighbors all the time and have this constant fear that you know, what could happen? The Swedes just put out
0: a pamphlet on what to do in case the Russians invade. <laughs> I, they really happen. And they're reconstituting. They're bringing back online a lot of their Cold War bunkers and underground shelters. Yeah. I mean, and like we said at the beginning of the podcast, they've got conscription now. They're like, yeah, we actually need to beef up. We need more troops. Wait, didn't France just start conscription again also? Oh, I don't know. Did they? I, I believe
1: they start or, or some sort of national service. Maybe okay. it's not full-blown conscription. Yeah. Yeah things are changing i mean what does it say in this day and age where russia was able to take them and uh, take over you know crimea and a large part of eastern ukraine and they simply painted over the russian flags on their armored personnel carriers it. They, they just tore the the flag the russian flag off their uniform tore off their name tape and it was like they invaded this country the and, little and green by men. The way,
2: i should jump in here luckily we're live streaming on instagram we have uh following that, that seems to know this stuff. So according to Phil, 1988, yes, France did two years of service. So there you go. Okay, got. there you yeah. go.
0: Mandatory military anyway, service. Anyway, back to
2: what Thank you were you, saying. I to jump in. Thank you, Phil. Yeah.
1: That, that they were able to invade a country in Europe with basically plausible deniability. I mean, we pointed to them and say, hey, those are Russian troops. And they're like, no, it's not. Go
0: and line. they shot down a commercial jetliner <laughs> and killed all those people. It was a KLM uh, Malaysian, Malaysian airline. airline. Yeah. yeah, code share flight. So I mean, it's, it's bad. Uh, we are victims of our own success and prosperity in this country. We are wi- willfully ignorant of history. Not all of us. A lot of us. I think a lot of the schools don't teach what they should be teaching. Um, and I, 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 we are at a very difficult time right now. If we allow kind of nationalism and populism to take over and we turn inward and yeah. we, we disengage from the world, uh, listen, I – somebody th- there there has to be a big dog on top and in my opinion it needs to be the United States of America because if we don't do it somebody else will i mean malaysia used to be a backwater until our navy made sure that there was safety on the high seas and all this kind of stuff now that she, tremendous prosperity there uh you know america's been the greatest force for good in the history of the world we've we've freed more people from bondage oppression tyranny we've fed more people i mean it's a really really good thing and we shouldn't be ashamed of that Uh, i'm not a fan of nation building i am a fan of killing people who need killing i think there's some bad guys out there um particularly in the middle east And it's going to be very interesting to see as we sit and do this podcast, we're two weeks away from Trump meeting in Helsinki with Putin. Um, I know Trump wants to get out of Syria. Uh, there's no way, uh, and I know Putin wants that, too. He'd love to see us out. He's never leaving because they need the warm water port there for their Navy. In Syria, yeah. That's a long, established relationship. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's a client state uh, yeah. for the Russians. and It's they're a never place for them leave.
1: to dump military hardware also.
0: Yeah, and they can cycle guys through and get them training. And, you know, that was the, before they pulled out of Afghanistan, it was going to be, uh, the the deal was going to be every Russian military member would have had, you know, active combat experience they were just rolling guys through there all the time until they left we've been there longer than the russians i mean it's tough i i I met when i went over to afghanistan i met some incredible afghan people but and i don't quote ann coulter ever she had one great line which is it's tough to bring democracy to people who have more goats than flush toilets uh, and no. I, I'm, I'm not a believer in bringing democracy to anybody. I'm a am a believer in if you want it, you got to fight for it. You can't hand it to people. And then we like idiots as a nation, like in Iraq, it's like, okay, let's set up your constitution. Oh yeah. Let's base it on Sharia law. The most unindividual thing there is out there. And so I don't know how we move people towards freedom and Liberty. If we don't empower the individual.
2: I, I was going to get to this later because, you know, we're kind of on the topic of the book and we still have more questions about that, but You're kind of getting into it from this. I mean, your future aspirations of, I was pretty shocked to see Brad Thor. You know, you've been a very Brad Thor 2020. Yeah, I'm not running for
0: president, just FYI.
2: And you've been a very vocal critic of President Trump. So, yeah. I
0: compliment him. Sure. Uh, So then
2: what what is the whole thing with Brad Thor running for president, making an announcement?
0: Yeah, so that was the height of my frustration with Trump and the Republican Party. Uh, Like I said earlier, my dad's a Marine, okay? We learned about leadership. We learned about taking personal responsibility. We learned about protecting the weak, all of those good qualities. My brother and I learned them from my dad, okay? Uh, there is a tremendous amount of responsibility, like Trump, don't like Trump, I don't care. He's the president of the United States. He's not the president of 30% of you know, his followers, his base. Sure. He's the president of all of us. It has gotten more toxic and more divided in this country yeah. since the rise of Trump, and I think he contributes to it. I think the way he is, his kind of, you know, Roy Cohn was his mentor. Uh, Roy Cohn, the guy that worked with Joseph McCarthy, Roy Cohn yeah. was not a good guy. He's a no. lousy son of a bitch. Uh, he- so I don't like Trump calling names and being so divisive, but this is what's always worked for Trump, right? He's a reality show star. He's like a, a wrestling guy. So he always needs the evil guy to play stirs off Stirs up of the drama. Daily. And, you know, there there have been these reports that Trump has said he wants to run it on a day-to-day basis like a reality show where there's always some big headline and tune in tomorrow. He did that with the Gorsuch appointment a while ago where you didn't know who was – You see it with the Supreme Court
2: justices. Who's it going to be? Yeah, have
0: a list Tune opinions, in Monday. We, yeah, we don't know. Or or is
2: the North Korea summit going to happen in Singapore or not, right, it right, did? But.
0: Right. Yeah. So from a, I don't see him as a – take all of his personality out, and I can't stand his personality. I'm a Midwest guy. I think he's a boorish New York, kind of a <laughs> Queens, you know, just – what's amazing, he wasn't always that way. He was very self-confident. If you go back and look at Trump footage from the 80s, like the Today Show interviews or Larry he King – He was a little more well-spoken. Polysyllabic words, cogent arguments. Yeah. He didn't lose track of the subject halfway through the sentence. He's a different guy at seventy-two, you know, than he was thirty years yeah, ago. Yeah. So, uh, good, bad. I'm I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not judging him on that. He's different. Uh, I don't like his style, and I think style's important, particularly for such a noble nation. It, my concern is that we have a nine eleven or something like that. He's going to need to rally the country, and it's so divided. He's not. He doesn't possess the, the the skills of an effective leader to knit people together. Or
1: if we have a serious recession, some sort of national emergency.
0: Yep. It, it's concerning. Yep, yeah. I, the, the divisions. I you know, God forbid we have economic hard times because boy is people are going to start eating each other in the yes. streets because yeah. it's so toxic and so divided. I think, you know, on the right, there's this
1: attitude right now of, you know, let's make America great again and screw the rest of the world. Uh, on the left, there's this sort of like Howard Zinn interpretation of history, like hand-wringing, America is an evil, racist country. Yeah. Um, I, I sense that you have the a, another perspective on it, that America has been a vanguard force, has been a force for good oh, in the world.
0: It has. And if I can recommend another book after you've read Spy Master and enjoyed it, <laughs> yeah, please yeah. please go out and buy my buddy Jonah Goldberg's book, Suicide of the West. I've heard of it. It's fantastic. Brand new. I I blurbed it because I thought this book was awesome. Uh, what Jonah talks about is that... Up until the last 300 years, the condition of mankind on this planet has been grinding poverty and an early death Pretty due rough. to disease or you die in warfare. Bad, bad, bad. Stuff. Then something happened 300 years ago. You get kind of the Scottish English Enlightenment. Suddenly we start celebrating ideas, the individual, and you get the rise of democratic capitalism. So not democrat as in Democrat Party, but democrat. Uh, you know, it's, we've changed terms over the years. Like classic classical liberalism, right, you right. know, is what we refer to as kind of conservatism today. But what Jonas says is, is that we are living, and he's right. We're living in the best country at the best moment in history. We're sitting in an air-conditioned studio right now. That's just a a fact. It's a fact and yet there is a a sector among us who, they're not happy and they're looking for things to be pissed off about. Whether it's the fact that there isn't, there aren't transgendered bathrooms or whatever. They're, They're actually manufacturing trouble.
2: I would also argue the 24 7 news cycle has made things worse because social media. When you watch the news. I blame
0: Nancy Grace for the fact that I don't let my kids play outside my line of sight (laughs) because she she was the one that focused on all the child predators and it was in your face all the time. Mm -hmm. My parents would throw me out in the morning and say don't come home to the street Our parents would get arrested these days. It's
2: it's not to minimize (laughs) the problem of it like these school shootings happening horrible problem but it's not to the level of, of the way that the 24 7 news media makes you feel it is still a rarity, even though it's happening right. so often. It is a it is still very low chances that you're going to send your child to school and this tragedy, or, is that, or that you're going
1: to be killed by terrorism or right. something of that nature. Bingo. It. it um, but it's clickbait. It, it, it,
0: it's clickbait, and that gets put in front of our faces all the time. And then every time something like this happens, you know, it's it's interesting. I remember when the Newtown, Connecticut sh- school shooting yeah. happened, and I thought for sure there was going to be a ban on AR 15s. You know, anything and that. And there was looked, in New
2: York. There was here.
0: Uh, yeah. Well, that's because you live in New York. Well, I and mean, I'm not
2: saying the city, because I live on Long high Island. Capacity and, you had the
0: SAFE Act or whatever it yeah, was up, here up until. With um, Cuomo.
2: Up until Sandy Hook, it, on Long Island, you could buy lawfully buy an AR-15, and then that got shut down. And it's
0: so stupid if you know anything about firearms. I mean, this is this is ridiculous. It's because it looks scary. You know what I mean? It, so much of it is based on ignorance. And when you get yeah. into an argument, you're talking to people who know nothing about firearms. Uh, you, listen, when seconds They're... count, the police are only minutes away. So, what
1: I, I find really striking, you know, going back to what you were, you were saying, that it, it feels like. You know, we live in this marvelous time in history. Uh, And yet there are so many Americans who act as if they want to throw it all away over what amounts to a teenage temper tantrum.
0: Oh, look at the rise of uh, of socialism on the left with the success of Bernie Sanders and now the the the, the congresswoman to be yeah, from New York 14 yeah i mean she's an out and out and now they're trying to parse they're trying to split hairs well socialist versus democratic socialist yeah. you know it's like home invader versus you know guy that's good with uh, with uh, burglary tools so same thing right you know yeah same philosophy. What, what, I, what I try
1: to tell people, you know, who think, you know, America is like this evil racist imperialist country, like you said before. I mean, if we don't play that vanguard role somebody is, and I say to them when Russia fills that void or when China fills that void, how are those guys on LGBT rights? Oh. How are those guys on environmentalism?
0: Well, how how are, I mean, any any metric you want to use. And not only that, but if you judge the folks on the left that are saying that, uh, America's such a bad country. Why are you in such a hurry to get so many foreigners in here? Why are you looking to bring as many people? This is such a terrible country. You ought to be standing at the border warning people, don't come in. America's awful. Yeah. Listen, it, it, it it is, it is interesting. I I have family members. I have dear friends who are on the other side of the aisle for me. And I think, part of what I can do uh, to help the situation is to listen and to be, you know, mine's like a parachute, right? It's got to be open yeah, be, to work. be the adult. Yeah. But, well, and that's what we're missing a lot of is, is people being the adult, being mature. I don't agree with Marxism, Leninism. Um, I don't believe in redistribution of wealth. You can't multiply wealth by dividing it. I believe in you've got to work hard. I also believe there are always going to be people among us who need help. Okay, that for, you know, there should be a safety net. It shouldn't be a hammock. We should encourage people. You know, I thought one of the greatest things that happened under Bill Clinton's presidency was welfare reform. Now, granted, the Republicans took over control of Congress and they were able to push that. But that was a good thing because even the Brits, when they study their welfare system, they realize that people don't actively look for work until the benefits are about to run out. So there should be an incentive. Incentives work, right? It works with our children. It works with our employees. Uh, to, to think that somehow we're not creatures of... of uh, we act in our self-interest, sure, right? Sure. So why wouldn't we apply that psychology and encourage people to fend for themselves because that is empowering. You People don't feel good taking government assistance. They'd feel much better on their own. Well,
1: that's where, Help them
0: and help them get to that point.
1: That's where the Europeans got it wrong and, and we got it right, is that you know we have some programs, and probably rightly so, so that we don't have people starving in the streets and things yep. like that. But we don't have so much welfare that it's like in some parts of Europe where you can literally just live off of benefits.
0: Oh, the Swedes have realized it. They've had to scale their stuff back.
1: It's too much. A lot of people, I I, I always kind of get a kick out of this. This isn't so much Europeans, but I I find more um, people I know who immigrated here from the Middle East. And they're kind of shocked by how hard Americans work. They're like, you guys work a lot. Like, you don't, you don't have time to enjoy your
0: lives. There was nothing here when we got here, right? <laughs> there were no roads, no hospitals, no schools, no houses. It's part of our culture to work hard. Sure. That's why taking that day of rest, uh, that, that Sunday off, if you will, to go to church and that kind of stuff was such a big deal because it was hard, hard well, physical labor. Our, our relationship with
1: work is different, too. Like, like you work because this is your passion. You know, you yeah. really believe in, in what you're doing. This is our passion for us. I mean, we, we're happy to come to work. Um, In in Europe, for a lot of Europeans, not all, work is just something you do get over with so that you can have dinner parties
0: and spend time with your friends and your family. Yeah, yeah, they choose to put the emphasis on leisure. That's why so much of their legislation protects, you know, how many hours a week they can work. Yeah. They've got a <laughs> thing where your boss now, there's a law over, I don't know if it's France, where your boss can't email you after 5 o'clock or if you ignore nice. it. Yeah, I'm actually, uh, yeah, yeah. We'll, <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> Gonna get that instituted here, huh? Soft rep. But um, I think the people who from Europe, from everywhere who come to this country are the ones who want to be hard workers, you know, because if you look at the... If you look at the difference between what's happening in Greece with the economy there and then Greek Americans, you I know, I used to live in Greece, open yeah. Open diners all over Astoria and are business owners, it's a totally different mentality, I think. Uh, you,
0: I agree. And back to what Jack said about oh, it's such a bad racist country, and we know it's not. You look at the success rate for black immigrants who come here and start businesses. They're self-starters, right? It's a big deal to leave your home country. Oh, if you're from and,
1: Africa, you have to be.
0: And they come over here and they kick ass. Yeah. And they open businesses and they work their asses off. And you get people that come, whether it's from Asia or from Africa, where they may have been a doctor, a lawyer, and they'll open they'll open whatever kind of business they can, and then they send their kids to school. That's the American dream is that you bring your, you, you, you set your family up so that each generation, I know with my dad, the Marine, he grew up on the south side of Chicago. And the one thing he repeatedly told me and my brother is, I want you guys to go further in life than I did. He said the Marine Corps was my ticket out of the south side of Chicago. Now I'm start, starting my family on the north side of Chicago. Now you guys go out, kick ass, and do better than I did. That's all I ask of you.
2: And how many authors do you meet that are stuck at a job that they hated and, and wanted to follow their passion and become an author? And you know they become successful with it because there was no you know total safety net for them. And oh well, yeah you know probably at some of the worst times people say like i got to go for it i got to follow my passion i think it's a good thing sometimes it's a blessing in disguise for some people
0: it's a hell of a motivation you know yeah. you don't you don't work <laughs> you don't eat i mean that's a that's a big deal
1: is it like being a uh, like i've heard a lot of artists say this that you operate with this constant sense of like self doubt like am i am i going to lose the pixie dust that allows
0: me to do my job You know, the pixie dust thing doesn't bother me. But what is interesting is I was going through books. I got thousands of books at home. And I found this book. I was looking for something new to read, something I hadn't. And I pulled a book off the shelf. And I, a dear friend of mine out in Utah is a psychologist with the VA out there, and I was convinced he gave it to me. It was from the 1970s. It was called The Seasons of a Man's Life, and it, it tracked different groups of men in New York uh, City in their 30s, 40s, and into their 50s and how things changed with them. And one of the groups, it was fascinating, they chose was Authors. I'm like, huh, this is really weird. How do you get authors as a group to study for kind of a psychological profile? And what they found with the authors was not so much the pixie dust, but that every book those authors worked on, they hoped this will be the one that breaks through for me. I'll finally have sales success. My readers will be happy, but I'll finally get critics to say, you know what, this guy's an important guy in that genre. And that's what they were always chasing with, uh, with that. So for me... My and I realize I'm not. Gonna, I'm gonna. It's always gonna be a mixed bag because people can't do reviews without politics involved anymore. So I know certain outlets are gonna are gonna look at my politics, not at my art. And I, I, there are certain areas that New are New York Review be, of Books. Yeah, I actually, you know it's funny. The New York Times gave me a great profile last year. I, I was I, stunned. Uh, I know the author Koolish. Uh, Koolish, yeah, Coolish. I think that. Yeah I, yeah, I know him, and he was he was he's a military guy. He comes from a military family, and I'm not saying that he's. History played into sure. the review. I thought the review was very fair, um, and I got another review recently. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna cite where it's from, but it was completely unfair. And it was a guy. I could tell. I have a feeling we vote differently. <laughs> but uh, what's <laughs> interesting, you know, because he was immediately virtue signaling to his crowd. Thor's an NRA member. There's a lot of guns in his books. And it, 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 a military
2: it, book without guns. I, I don't know.
0: Think be very exciting. Well, yeah. Find <laughs> me a
1: Hollywood movie without guns in it. I mean, give right? me a break. The
0: <laughs> only thing you won't find in one of those. Movies is a Muslim bad guy because they refuse <laughs> to do that. So it was it was fascinating where this guy was judging my books based on my politics, not on the art. Sure. You know, like I wish I could send in a book with the name not on it and get it reviewed and see would it be any different. Yeah, yeah. But that's the world we live in. We're we're very political. Uh, but back to Jonah Goldberg's book, Suicide of the West. We have forgotten how to be grateful. And yeah. uh, every morning to that point. I get up and remind myself that we are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, chief among them, the pursuit of life, liberty, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That last one's very important. When I wake up in the morning, I remind myself that people have sacrificed everything so that I can have that pursuit to happiness. And happiness is a choice. I get up every day and I say to myself, I'm going to choose to be happy today. It's the best time to be alive in the greatest nation in the history of the world. I can find things to be happy about. It's a choice. I mean, think about how much
1: has been sacrificed to establish Western civilization from the Westphalian agreement of 1648 Uh up until today. I mean, it's incredible. And I I don't think it's something we should take for granted or just throw away. Uh, Maybe we should have a little bit more humility about... The, the society we live in and there's there's lots of room for improvement there's always and we going should work to be. together to improve yeah. things absolutely. Um, but it, it seems yeah that we're we have this sort of callous disregard for our own society we're
0: lazy we're victims of our own prosperity and se- success you know what I, I mean it it really is I, I'm stunned it's funny we uh, we were talking with someone earlier today I was at another thing and there was a young person there and it was it was amazing like how many phrases uh, don't get kicked around in their age group you know we used to have this thing when I was growing up uh, that came from my parents day and maybe even further back about keeping up with the Joneses right they were the neighbors <laughs> next door. Yeah. He buys a new Cadillac. You get a new Cadillac. Got a washing machine for the wife. Oh, I'm going to get a washing machine for mine. And we're now at the point where it, 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 shame. Uh, uh, Yvonne, who's here with me, we talk a lot about shame and how good that was for a culture. You know, we should say shame on you, you know. And we used to say, what what, what are the neighbors going to think? So we were afraid of shame. We didn't want to be shamed. Now we don't know our neighbors. And you see just ridiculous things happening because people have no shame. In the news recently was the woman who turned in the little girl for selling water, bottled yeah, water. Yeah, I saw that. And the guy on the BART train in San Francisco calling the cops because somebody's eating a burrito. What's <laughs> interesting is if you look at kids, uh, Jonah, this is back to Jonah Goldberg's book. I'm plugging his book more than mine, <laughs> more but, than I, <laughs> master, but I think yeah, today. but I think culturally Jonah's book is brilliant and really important. But what Jonah said is when somebody cuts in line in front of you at the grocery store, there is a visceral reaction, which is completely out of proportion with the act itself. Yeah. But it's because if people break cultural norms, it's those cultural norms that hold, that held us together as tribes, as small businesses, as we develop forward and people who wouldn't, you know, like we're all going to go dig a ditch and this guy's going to sit in the sunshine, but he gets part of the lunch that we're all participating in. No, we had these cultural norms because it was a, a way to work together to get us to the Westphalian uh, agreement and get us to the nation state and all that kind of stuff. So when people break those cultural norms, we have this visceral reaction to it and we're seeing a lot of that. So that stuff is fascinating for me. Well, to that's read.
1: that's the uh, fictive kinship that uh, when we had John Robb on the podcast he talked about, that there there are these fictions, like, like, for instance, the West. There's no such thing as the West. Like, we speak different languages, right. different ethnic groups. That was a, 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 an identity we constructed for mutual security, uh, to for a, a sense of kinship, uh, and, and a way for all of these very different countries to relate to one another and cooperate together. Uh, and now we're seeing a lot of that break down, which...
0: Yeah, I mean, it is, and some of it is being purposefully accelerated. Deconstructed. uh, Yeah, yeah, I mean, obviously Putin wants to see as much uh, chaos sown. He was very active in trying to meddle in Brexit uh, because he doesn't like the EU either. He's trying to to wreck that. But then, you know, we've got a trading surplus with Canada, and we've got our president taking potshots at Trudeau for him just saying in a press conference, you know, I'm going to stick up for the Canadian people, and he was v- Canadian. He wasn't rude, <laughs> but some of the politest people you're ever going to meet are our <laughs> dear friends in Canada. So, you know, e- 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 the Chinese curses. May you live in inter- interesting <laughs> times. And I think it's, I think it's very interesting right but, now. But
1: look at the silver lining, Brad. Right, right now, the left is in love with the FBI, in love with the yeah, CIA. They're, they're fighting yeah. for fair trade. Yeah. <laughs> They, they seem to now welcome uh, – they're very concerned that America is losing its prominence, the prominence world, yeah. on the global stage. I'm like,
0: come on home, yeah, guys. Yeah, glad come to on, have you. Come on into my arms. Yeah, <laughs> you know what? It It, it is very interesting, and in what I hope we will see a breakout of is maturity, uh, being an adult, being civil – uh, some common ground, maybe. Some, some common ground, but what I'm afraid of is what you and I talked about a little earlier, Jack. Is that it's going to take something really bad Nasty. to pull us back together? Because we have a leader right now who's not interested in pulling us together. Yeah, he is. He is targeting stuff very narrowly at his base uh, because that's where he's been successful. Listen, it takes a lot of guts to reach across to somebody who disagrees with you. No. To, you know, Reagan and Tip O'Neill used to sit and drink together. You know, uh, a couple of Irish guys. I think that's fantastic. It doesn't mean they agreed on everything. There was a lot of horse trading involved. I mean, they, we had to give up a lot just within America between Republican and Democrats just to be able to outspend the Soviets and win the Cold War. So it's never going to be kind of sunshine and Skittles raining from the sky and <laughs> unicorn rides. Uh, but we need to have responsible, mature Americans talking to their friends, saying, you know, what does it mean to be American? Where are we going? Uh, but even on our, our side, on the right, it's so splintered there are people that yeah. are just happy as long as it makes the liberals cry yeah and i yeah. i can't stand that i just think that is so immature trolling. it is trolling and i get it you know you've had a finger poked in your eye by the news media forever and it hasn't been fair and all that kind of stuff but rise above that yeah, yeah. you know it's now the because guess what the shoe's going to be on the other foot you know it, what we do today is going to be visited upon us politically at some point down the line we're not going to be in power so what, what you're
2: saying is reminding me of you remember on. Uh, I think it was Fox and Friends, for uh, Hank Williams Jr. was on there, and he was commenting on Boehner meeting with Obama at, the at uh, you know, some golf course. Uh-huh. And he was like, oh, Netanyahu might as well meet with Hitler. And it was like, <laughs> these, these are two members uh, of our government. This is what yeah. you, you sign up to do when you become yeah. a member of government. You have to negotiate Got with to the work other together. side. And it's become this thing that, like, I don't even want them meeting together on a golf course, which is completely was, insane. Weird.
0: Yeah. We, you know what? We can do better than this. We are capable of great good, of great nobility. Uh, This is an absolutely fantastic country. And you know what? Sometimes I think the success of this country is that we have kind of these stress relief valves, that we do let some of the steam out every once in a while. Obviously, we had a lot of people that wanted uh, to change things up. Uh, A lot of people voted this last cycle differently than they had before. Mm -hmm. And I think it's great, particularly when you can have a group that feels they've been forgotten by their government, that they can affect change. That's fantastic. Yeah. that's Our government's not going to de- destroy itself. It's not going away anywhere. The the founders did a damn good job well, this, building this republic. This
1: election especially has showed, well, no, actually the system isn't rigged. Yeah, I mean, democracy is a real
0: thing. If the deep state exists, they, <laughs> they, suck. <laughs> they suck. Yeah, they yeah, really, really bad at what they do. Yeah, they're terrible. Well, hey,
2: Getting back into Spy master because I, I know we've talked yeah. a lot about it at the beginning, but this is why you're here, obviously. We're putting this up on the 4th, and we're talking about... American independence and stuff like that, which is great. But um, yeah, big day for you that it's released today, July 3rd, as we're recording this. And I'm just wondering, we were talking before we even recorded about this being your 18th book in the series, like what, and and you were saying it doesn't get easier. Like what goes through your head of how do I keep people entertained who have read 17 books thus far, and they're still going to be interested in Scott Harvath and keep coming back?
0: Well, first of all, I call what I do faction, where you don't know where the facts end and the fiction begins. In fact, a lot of people tell me they love to read my thrillers with their laptop open. You can Google Be- some of these is things. Is this real? Is that, oh my gosh, you know. That's the, a
1: great feeling for readers, too.
0: It, it is fun. Yeah. It's like the stuff that I know you knew about those caves in Norway where all this American military equipment is kept. I didn't know that. I didn't know about the Russians and the de-escalation nuke. And there's that nuke isn't in the book. I'm not giving away spoilers. But- I choose things that I find fascinating in the real world, and then I say, "How do I put this in a thriller?" So as I learn about it, I distill it for uh, for the purposes of the story. So that's kind of you get that you get that double-barreled shotgun. You get that great white knuckle thrill ride, and you get some cool information in a book. Um, and that's the challenge for me. That's how I raise the bar every year. But I am bringing back a repeat character, and I write each book. So if you haven't read a Brad Thor thriller before, you can start with Spy Master. You you don't need to have read anything before to start with this because you'd be an idiot businessman to do that. Somebody walks into their local bookstore and there's your fifth book, but the bookstore is out of stock on the previous four. You don't want people to go, I'll buy a Patterson. Especially for
2: you. If they're just starting out, it's a tough sell to so you, make someone buy can, 18 You can books. jump yeah, right into the
0: action. Absolutely. You can jump right in. So what I've been working on is how do I take my main character, Scott Harvath, how do I keep learning about him? How do I reveal things and uh, stuff that he's going through that All the readers can relate to. So, you know, we all have problems at our office. We have problems in our family life. You know guys that go down range. It can be very difficult on families and all that kind of stuff. And what I've got now, I had a guy from SEAL Team 3 take me to a very interesting facility down uh, in Florida that is set up to rehab professional athletes, get football players ready for the combine and all that kind of stuff. But they realized that a lot of the injuries that special operations guys were getting were similar to what we were seeing in football players in the NFL. And they said, well, why should the U.S. military have to reinvent the wheel bring some of your guys down here let's see if we can work with them and get them back uh, you know uh, on the tip of the spear very very fast and help the, the united states invests a ton uh in our warriors there's a lot of training there's there's so much that goes there in you've got these incredible warrior athletes i mean you're really an athlete when you're particularly in special operations it's very very athletic so um that was some of the stuff i was playing with harvath too because you know he's getting the into
1: injuries his, creeping up on him
0: yeah he's got he's got to chug you know with some uh, uh, some Motrin, vitamin M, as my SEAL <laughs> friends call it when he gets up in the morning. But what's he willing to do to stay in the field? It's like Tom Brady, right? Is Tom Brady going to do one more Super Bowl? What would he be willing to do if there were no rules? You know, are you willing to do some injections and stuff like that as a former SEAL, which Harvath is? Um, so that's that's and, part of what I play with. And those with.
1: guys are so motivated and so patriotic. It's like they'll, they'll never say no. Right, You right. know, like They'll time, always
0: answer the phone. Time for
1: your 15th deployment. Roger yeah. that. Roger Here we that. go. Here we go. Yep. Um, I, another question I had for you, since this is book 18 and, uh, I, I'm not asking for a specific, que- uh, a specific answer because I know you can't give that, but I want to ask you if in your mind, do you have a end point for this character?
0: No, I don't you really don't No, It'd be like saying, Hey, keep coming to the restaurant. We're going to close it. You know, in X amount of months. And then I'm going to start a I'm going to start a deli. I hope I, all you will eat at my deli. It's like I got a steak restaurant and I love serving it up. It ain't going to close. Yeah. I, I like I, Harvath doing what he's doing. He's got lots of years of kicking in doors and shooting bad guys. In so the you face. don't. You,
1: there's no plan of like maybe this guy goes out in a blaze of glory. Maybe he retires to a log
0: cabin. Nope. Nope. There's a little bit of his boss is now out of the game and Mm -hmm. his boss put a lot of pressure on him to say, you know what? You're being selfish. You keep going down range. You're too valuable to be going out on these assignments. You, Tom Brady, I got to get your butt off the field and start, become the manager, help scout out the new talent, help build the the team and take it into the future. And that's a big wrestling, a a big internal thing that Harvest dealing with in this book where he's like, fuck that. I got so much left to give. And then there's this question of, are you being selfish? Are you putting the bigger mission... Uh, you're putting yourself ahead of a bigger mission. And so th- that's part of the the neat stuff that I reveal about Harvath in this book, which is fun, particularly if you've never read him before. You you really get a great grasp for who he is as an American, as a man, as maybe a father, because he's looking at, boy, maybe I'd like a family, and that would require me to kind of dial it back. So uh, a lot of stuff packed in this thriller. It's a lot harder to drop that rucksack than people think. Uh, nothing worse than being a former action guy, right? right. I mean, it can, it can be... But I'll tell you, my children's godfather was a 5th fifth, uh, fifth Special Forces guy. And he now works for the State Department. And he had done kind of his hardship tour for state. He had to go to Iraq. He was at the embassy over there. And he went for a meeting. It was like an economic development meeting or whatever. And there was a, there was a guy, a contractor pulling security. And he kind of looked at him. He's like, I know that guy. And he came out and realized, okay, this is a guy he knew at one point from 5th Group. And they were kind of chatting before they had to jump back in the cars and go... And he's like, hey, how you doing? You know, you still married? The guy's like, no, divorced three times. But I love my job. How about you? And my buddy who had left uh, Fifth Group and had gone, started his own business, successful business. But then 9-11 happened and he went to work for the State Department. And his wife agreed. They traveled the world. He's not, you know, out running and gunning. But the guy that decided he couldn't get away from the lifestyle and went over to the private contractor side, you know, three divorces. It, it takes its toll. I think it takes a special wife. But also a special husband who keeps going down range that can they can both maintain that relationship. It can't be easy.
1: I mean that's yeah that's something that I was single the entire time I was in the military, so I, I can't even begin to imagine. I remember one uh, special forces wife telling me because now in, in working as a journalist, I've come to learn more about that side of things from talking to different people. And uh, one uh, wife was telling me she's like you know when you're married to a green beret, you're the mother. You're the
0: father, and you're everything else. They run the house while they're yeah. gone. I mean, it's a it's a big deal, and that's why I always I always want to remember, and I always tell people on social media: never forget families serve too. So when you thank a you thank somebody in uh, in the army or the Coast Guard or the Navy, the Marines, thank their families too. Because those families serve. It may not be in the same location. It may not have the same requirements. But theirs is a life of service to our nation as well. And you can't forget that. Absolutely. Missing the
1: birth of your children. I mean, mm-hmm. it's I can't, I can't even fathom.
0: The stress on yeah. the wives, wondering, oh, my gosh, I just heard this in the news. And I can't reach out yeah. because he's... it's wor-
1: It's worse for them than it is for the
0: guys because you don't know. Yeah. You have uh, no idea what's going on. Not knowing has got to be a terrible thing.
2: Yeah. The last book was Use of Force. That's the last time that you were in here with yep. us. Uh, I have to hear the story because apparently I didn't know the real story of Chris Christie on the beach reading the oh. force.
0: So, <laughs> all right. So last, last year, New Jersey shut its beaches about this time, uh, kind of end of June, beginning of July because they had all these financial problems uh, in New Jersey. The governor has the governor's mansion and there's a be- beach house at a state park in New Jersey. So all the beaches for like 4th of July were shut down, you know, Christie shut everything down. But a helicopter got pictures of Christie sitting on the beach in a in a in a beach chair with like friends and family enjoying the beach. The no beach f-
1: closes for Caesar, Brad.
0: right? No beach closes for Chris Christie. So what's funny is I was talking to my web designer uh, and we were laughing about this. And he goes, You know, the only thing Chris Christie's missing in that picture, I said, Yeah, it's a good summer thriller. Good beach <laughs> read. So we so my guy photoshops my my then brand new hardcover use of force last summer into christie's hands and then <laughs> and then pixelates out Christie's junk right because he's in a real tight bathing suit and we put this uh, I put it up on Twitter with a with a caption that says I think I'm the only guy in America who doesn't hate Chris Christie and it went viral yeah I re- do you viral. remember
2: how many retweets it got because I remember it was like over
0: 20,000 yeah it was my most popular tweet ever and news organizations were running it as if it was true only a handful reached out to me to actually fact-check actually do their job as journalists but tons of of them ran with it. And it is still today, it, it just cracks me up because I'll get asked about it in interviews. and, and By get, me when I
2: came in? Yeah. You know, I thought he was
0: really reading thought it. thought I was really reading it, right? But it was so fun. It was almost and, and then I'd have people like off air go you know, the pixelation of the bathing suit was the best part of the whole thing, so. Uh, Brilliant
2: marketing on your part.
0: You know, it's just, it, you know, that's my sense of humor. I like to just, you know, just goof <laughs> on stuff. And it just, it was so perfect, but I got to hand it to Evan, our design guy. He was the the one that said you know let's pixelate out the uh the junk that was so funny brilliant product placement yeah yeah it was right time right place right photoshop so
2: that's awesome uh so I'm excited that this is out today um you know for people who have never read anything in the Scott Harvath series what would you say to them if they're thinking of picking up you know their first Brad Thor book?
0: start with Spymaster I think you know what if I can't get you with this and make you fall in love with Harvath I, I can't do it. So I would say start with Spymaster. You can always go back and read the other ones. They're meant to be read standalone. You don't need to start with the first book. Start start with Spymaster. And uh, and hop on Twitter or Facebook and let me know what you think. Because uh, if you buy a copy of my book, you are my boss. I work for you, and I want to know what you think.
2: And you can tweet Brad Thor at Brad Thor. The website is bradthor.com. Um, anything else that you want to get to? Because I wanted to mention what we're up to at Hurricane Group. And then, I mean, this has been awesome. I, I think we've gone, like, all over the place to say. Yeah, year. we I have. Really no, it.
1: I think that's great. I just want to say congratulations on the Thank book you. release. Um, can I take this one with me yeah, on vacation? Yeah,
0: I'll, I'll even sign it for I you, I would love that. You
1: bet. Uh, I'll take this one. I'll read this on vacation this summer.
2: Okay, and I was saying vacation for you is usually like the middle of a war zone with Benny, but not this
1: time <laughs> with my wife. <laughs> no, we're uh, we're going to to Europe. My my wife is from Italy.
0: So. Oh, neat. Yeah, what part of Italy? Uh, Milan. Oh wow! Okay, you guys gonna go someplace nicer?
1: Yes. Okay. Yeah, yes, we will. I was saying, uh, <laughs> it's kind
0: of Milan, yeah, Milan, and uh,
1: especially in the summer, in August. Uh, if you go to Milan, rough. this is this it's is no factory. Town. This is no joke. If uh, you go to like Milan's equivalent of Times Square in August, you can lay down in the street and There's you will not be no hit cars. by. There is nobody in that city. It, it just empties out in August. Everyone's gone. Yeah. Because again, the Europeans have a different relationship with work.
0: <laughs> I'm starting to think Brandon has a very European uh, <laughs> yes. relationship with work. If I, 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 but I love following his Instagram because of all the European pictures. And that when he was when he was doing the float plane stuff on Lake Como, you know, incredible. I, yeah, some of the most beautiful pictures I've seen. So I, I really enjoy those. But uh, yeah, I just. I think it's great. Listen, it's why you work so hard in the military and you're working hard in your private business now, right, is to pursue your own self-interest. Absolutely. Do what lights you up and makes you excited. And, uh, it's, it's, do what you love. Live the American dream. And let me say thank you to you for your service because I tell my kids all the time that there is no American dream without those willing to fight to protect it. So I get to be a best-selling author because of the service of my dad, your service, and everyone else who's ever picked up a rifle or volunteered to do so for the United States. So thank you.
2: Yes, yeah, thank you, Brad. Yes, well said. Um, wrapping things up here. There's only one club out there with gear handpicked by special operations military veterans from several branches, and that, of course, is Crate Club. I don't know if we've ever sent you. You
0: guys crate did. Club. It was awesome. Okay, yeah. very cool. Oh, yeah. really? Oh, yeah. I got a great bunch of stuff.
2: Okay, that's all I was. Cool. I was wondering about that. So yeah, we uh, we have a future collaboration we're doing with NFW watches for an exclusive crate. Uh, for the premium tier members, that's coming soon. We have different tiers of membership, depending on how prepared you want to be. And gift options are available as well. You can check that all out at crateclub.us. Once again, that's crateclub.us. And then we now have a partnership with Kuna Dog. Do you have a dog?
0: i uh, got a couple. we got some Belgian Malinois. All right, so then really?
2: I have to tell the people there, They're send bread a box for you know Kuna. Because we have a team of cane trainine handlers picking out a box for your dog every month. Of healthy treats, training aids It's custom built for your dog's size and age as well The products are US sourced All natural And not only promote a healthy diet But also promote being active with your dog So whether we're talking a pit bull or a chihuahua It's just what we're looking for No matter what dog You can see all of that at kuna.dog. That's kuna.dog. It's efficient for you Your dog will appreciate it as well of course And that's spelled c-u-n-a dot d-o-g And as always I also have to mention that for uh, you people listening right now, we have a limited time uh, offer of a fifty percent discounted membership to the Spec Ops Channel, our channel that offers the most ex- exclusive shows, documentaries, and interviews covering the most exciting military content today. The Spec Ops Channel premiere show: Training Cell. Follows former Special Operations Forces as they participate in the most advanced training in the country, everything from shooting schools, defensive driving, jungle and winter warfare, climbing and much more. Again, you can watch this content by subscribing to the Spec Ops channel and that's at specopschannel.com. Take advantage of that 50% off membership, only 4 99 a month, specopschannel.com. I'll be sure to make sure they send you a box uh, for Kuna, for your dog. Uh, but this was awesome. Once again, it's Bradthor.com, at Bradthor on Twitter. Uh, Spymaster's out today. Most people I know are listening July 4th, so they're probably enjoying barbecuing with their family this and stuff. This is
1: Perfect book to get.
2: Yep. Pick up Spymaster uh, Spy while you're at it. Um, and as you said recently, I mean, I think the same goes for Memorial Day as 4th of July. It's okay to, it's okay have, okay a to have a barbecue and also remember these great things that we're talking about. Spend some time with your family.
0: Yeah. Really? Which is where Agreed. you're off to, right? You said this. Yep. Uh, going right to the airport yep. from here and flying back to Nashville and uh, going to fire up the barbecue tomorrow and, uh, and thank God for that Independence Day and, and just respect and admire the courage it must have taken <laughs> for those colonists to stand up to Great Britain. It's a pretty, <laughs> it's, it's amazing when That's you think so of cool. what they were able to do. And we, we, we reap the benefits of that bravery every single day. We wake up in this great nation.
1: One of the largest upsets in history. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the, one of
0: the... Might be
2: the largest upset in history. You bet. And Nashville, by the way, is like... It's like the new L.A. I haven't been there anytime Boomin. recently, but yeah. It's booming. I haven't been there since I left Fort
1: Campbell. It's been a while, So it was like eight... Yeah, it's, uh, right yeah,
0: right across there in Kentucky. It's uh, Listen, Nashville's fantastic. It's booming. We joke that the state bird ought to be the construction crane because <laughs> there's so much building. There's jobs. Uh, they actually can't hire people fast enough. That's the biggest problem. People are moving in, but the companies are moving in so quick that uh, if you're looking for work, think about Nashville. Because they need talented go-getters down there.
2: But I'm just thinking of like that's where all the songwriters go now, and country has made this huge comeback all over the country. Um, you know, I, yep. I, and the there's healthcare twice, down there, and there's
0: financial services firms. It's just
2: booming. It's crazy though. So when I get into Penn Station a lot of the time, and you see these people here for concerts at MSG, half the time it's country concerts. People in like cowboy hats, and for the first time in my lifetime. Like, New York has a successful country station, and it's all, like, thanks to Nashville. It's pretty
0: interesting. It's pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. No income tax in Tennessee. There's no state tax. <laughs> there's great medical in Nashville, but that was the big thing. Very light on regulation. They're running a sur- budget surplus, so financially it's very sound. And then me being a shooter uh, coming from Chicago, oh, where yeah. it was just so anti-gun. I am I'm, I'm just <laughs> thrilled to be – I mean, it's, you know, walk in, walk out, same day, you know same hour with whatever you want. There's no waiting period as long as you clear the background check, so. That's so cool.
2: Always an honor to have Brad in studio, BradThor.com at Brad Thorne Twitter. The book's available everywhere, Spymaster, and also on Audible, I saw it. Yep. Is it you reading it? or no, okay. no, no, no,
0: no. Big Broadway actor who can keep track of the voices <laughs> and all that kind <laughs> no, of stuff. You have a good
2: voice, man. You can do I, that. I got an
0: okay one, but I can't do It's kind multiple. of a pain in the ass for reading the entire it's, book. It's a talent. It's a talent to be able to do the different voices. So. Yeah. Well, happy Independence Day. Thanks for having me on the July yeah. 4th broadcast. I appreciate it. Thank you, Brad. It's sure, great you, having Brad. you
1: in studio. All right. Talk to you later. Awesome.
2: This is great.
0: You've been listening to Soft Rep Radio. New episodes up every Wednesday and Friday. For all of the great content from our veteran journalists, join us and become a Team Room member today at SoftRep.com. Follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at SoftRep Radio. And be sure to also check out the Power of Thought podcast, hosted by Hurricane Group CEO and Navy SEAL sniper instructor, Brandon Webb.